Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. It is late on Thursday night. It's actually, it's early on Friday morning where I am, Paul. Um, but we are coming to you after another full day of MLS matches. The Columbus crew just defeated the New York Red Bulls to clinch their spot in the round of 16. At MLS is back. A lot has happened over the last week. There was some craziness. Um, there was a lot of craziness, actually, if I'm being honest. Um, there was some pretty good soccer. There were some young players emerging. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk a lot about the games. We're going to talk a lot about what might be next. And we're going to talk about a few other kind of very allocation disordery topics as well. But before we get into that, Paul, you know, quick wellness check for you. Are you are you holding up here? It's It's been a lot of soccer. Have you been handling it okay? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a nice um stretch here of like what now we're four or five days with with no new positive tests um and all soccer to talk about and to think about. So it's been a nice change of pace, Sam. And you know what? We went I think more than 24 hours without talking to each other, which is phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we had done that in a month. Let's be totally honest. No, I don't I talk so. to you more than I talk to some of my family members. Uh, most of my family members, in fact, <laughs> um, which maybe I should work on that. But at any rate, yeah, it it was a it was a pretty significant development that we went for we went for a full day there without speaking. Um, but we are speaking now, of course, and we're speaking about soccer, as you mentioned, Paul. So I want to just dive right into it. Let's let's get into kind of you know I think last time we talked there had been a couple days of games. Um, this time we've had a week plus. So what have, what have some of your kind of biggest takeaways been here thus far at the tournament? Well, I think one of them is something that you and I both kind of hypothesized ahead of the tournament, which is that we could see this as an opportunity for younger players to get on the field. And then the question was, if those young players got on the field, you know, were they going to do something with it? Um, you know, there have been some youngish players that we can throw into the mix here, um, I know you wrote about it in your column, um, guys like Eric Williamson or Mauricio Pineda, who are in their early 20s and, and probably don't count as young players anymore. But I think Ayo Akinola from Toronto FC has probably been the bright spot of young American players so far. Five goals in two games, hat trick tonight. All, um, also, also Canadian player. Also Canadian player. And, 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 and also a Nigerian Nigeria. player. Yeah. As well, <laughs> technically not a player for any of those countries yet because he hasn't been cap tied. He hasn't declared. Greg Berhalter in attendance tonight probably is thinking, "Hey, uh, my forward position is one of the weakest in the pool. Maybe I should, you know, get this kid involved uh, sooner than later." Um, actually, I would say without a doubt that Canada's forward depth chart is prob is deeper, right, than the, the American forward depth yeah, chart. Yeah, um, no doubt. The U.S. depth chart is Josie Altidore, Jossie Zardes, Josh Sargent. Canada is Jonathan David. Jonathan David. Kyle Laren. And Lucas Ca Cavallini. Cavallini, you know? So I, I think I think you lean I think you lean Canada there, you know? Um, I but, give Canada the edge there, no doubt. Yeah, so you look at those young players, and I think it's been a really nice part of this tournament – you know, Akinola seizing his opportunity on the field. And you look at some of the other young players who have gotten out there and have done well, have showed well. Um, no, nothing that we're going to like, you know, on this show, certainly not going to start, you know, declaring them the next big thing or, you know, hyping them up on Twitter. But I think it's been nice to see guys like Aiden Morris and Columbus, Sebastian Berhalter starting for Columbus, another younger player, Cameron Dunbar, 
the LA Galaxy started. Um, you know, we want to see more of that. And you want to see these players kind of thrive or, or show that they're capable of performing in these games. And I think that if that happens and if we see players like Akinola start to emerge in a tournament like this, maybe it starts to change some minds about how often to play young players, how to handle younger players, how to give them opportunities. That was my hope going in. So early on, that's kind of my bigger takeaway of the tournament is that, hey, you know, going into your depth a little bit might surprise you. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fair point. And it, and it hasn't even really been in all these cases going into depth. You know, some of these guys were slated to be regular starters. You know, you mentioned Pineda. Um, he, he'd probably be in that group. Um, two guys, I don't know if you mentioned Paul, Chris Mueller and, and Memo Rodriguez, um, of Orlando and Houston respectively have both been very good for their teams thus far. Neither of them are very young. I think it's 24 for Rodriguez and 23 for Mueller. Um, and both, you know, would have been starting regardless of a pandemic. Um, but both have kind of taken this bigger stage, uh, by the horns, um, and, and taking advantage of it. So, we should so mention, that's been interesting sorry, to see. We should mention Brendan Aronson in this conversation. I know he's a name that yeah, we all know. Geez, we, we did skip over him. He's looked we? really good. He's 19 years old. He's a starter. Very he's a guy good. that we kind of, we know. And so we, we skip over him because he's expected to start and he's expected to play well. But I think he's exceeded those expectations, right? Yeah. And playing as a number 10 too, which is not something that we see very often for American players. You know, I was having this conversation with, uh, with Matt Doyle <laughs> not too long ago, actually. Like, when when's the last time we've seen an American attacker uh, in MLS be one of the best attackers in MLS? A young American attacker. Not an American, a young American attacker. And I think the answer, and Paul, we have made at, we may have had the same discussion. I think the answer was Breck Shea in 2011, which is crazy. Um, Breck was great that year, don't get me wrong. But... Um, you know, you're talking about almost 10 years. And, and I don't know if there's been anybody since um, who would fit into that category. You know, you have Kyle Lara and Alfonso Davies, both Canadian, so domestic players, uh, but not Americans. Um, so in terms of young American attackers, there's been a huge, almost decade-long black hole in MLS. Um, and it feels like that's starting to change a little bit, which is positive um, for the national team and I think for the game in general. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Akinola. He had a hat trick tonight in Toronto's four to three win against Montreal. Um, he has five goals in two games at the tournament. Um, I was joking around with somebody that you know maybe he Wally pipped Josie Altidore. Maybe Josie never gets his job back. That's not going to be the case. But um, the kid is impressive. He is he is making smart runs. He's finishing really well. Um, he is he's a, a physical beast um you know Yuka Raitala learned that the hard way on the third goal when when he just absolutely sunned him um and threw him into the ground um before running onto a through ball um I've been really impressed uh and and we'll see right super small sample size it's been two games uh but I'm excited to see what he brings in the future so I wanted to talk about him a little bit yeah. at length um that I, one's an exciting one for me. I think, I think, I mean, obviously it has to be, you know, the, the talking point of the tournament so far because he is a young player with such good high potential. And I think, you know, you heard Greg Berhalter mention it in his interview today. You mentioned it just now talking about Akinola. His, his feel for the runs that he needs to make to, to hang off the back shoulder of the center back, um, to find those spaces, 
um, and take advantage of them. That's a really important part of what Greg Berhalter wants out of his forward. And it's part of what makes Josie Altidore so valuable in Toronto. It's an important part about any forward. Sure, of course. But I think like, you know, this is not a a system where it's like a a cross heavy system or, you know, uh, a hold up striker where the long balls are coming in and you're playing back to goal. Like you need to be able to turn and face up. You need to be able to find the pockets. You need to be able to combine around the box. You need to be able to take advantage of those spaces when you have someone underneath pulling a center back out. And Akinola has shown so far, and yes, I agree with you, it's a small center sample size, but he has a good understanding of that. And I think it's a it's you know, it's something that we've seen Josie Altador, I think, grow into more and more and more in Toronto, especially when he was playing with Sebastian Jovinko. His passing and his movement and his runs, just his kind of intelligence of combination play around the box. Like that's what really has impressed me about Josie Altador during his time in Toronto and why I, I, you know, I still think he's by far the best striker in the pool. Um, so it's encouraging to see a younger player who's coming up underneath Josie Altador playing in the same system at 20 years old, grasping those concepts and executing them when given the opportunity. It's not an easy part of the game. And, I just I'd really liked to see how how much he was kind of fitting right into that system. You know, again, you expect flashes from young players. um, It's it's much harder to see kind of consistency uh, for any young player. And and what sets apart those young prospects that go from kind of being the the youth national team guys who get hyped and hyped and hyped is the ability to translate that dominance from the youth side into the professional side. Um, and so I, I was just encouraged by the breadth of ways that he has plugged in for a, for the best striker in the pool and thrived. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that's, as we, as we, you mentioned up at top, that's been one of the biggest stories of the tournament. Another huge story of this tournament. And I cannot believe how long it's, it's taken us almost 10 minutes or a little over 10 minutes to mention uh, but San Jose and Vancouver played one of my favorite MLS games of all time yesterday, <laughs> or I guess it would have been what Wednesday night, um, four, three, absolutely insane. Some moments of brilliance, some moments of absolute absurdity. And I mean, to be totally honest, comedic play, um, an own goal, unlike any I've ever seen in my life. Um, it involved, a a short corner for San Jose and a turnover and Vancouver launched a counter and you kept expecting an earthquake to come in as the, as the camera panned towards San Jose's goal. And you kept expecting to see a defender and none ever came. And and that's because Jackson Ewell, who was all of 30 yards from, from Vancouver's goal was the last man back at the time of the turnover. Um, They eventually go down three to one and then, of course, in, in San Jose vintage fashion, 2012 Goonies never say die stuff, uh, scored three goals. And I think the last 20 minutes with the last one coming in, I, I think the 98th, Paul, um, on like a 50-yard solo run by Shea Salinas, of all people. Um, of course, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably know it. 
Um, but I'm going to mention the end of the story anyway with, you know, the dog pile, these guys celebrating like, like they won a world cup game. It was honestly, it was reminiscent of, uh, the celebration was reminiscent of the 2010 USA, Algeria Landon Donovan goal where everybody ran into the corner and did a giant dog pile. (laughs) It's pretty much that same thing, except the quakes added on a trainer, you know, spraying the magic spray in kind of a simulation of a flare or a smoke bomb, um, it was all of it was incredible. I you couldn't really believe your own eyes. Uh, it was, it, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I get a little down on MLS, but that is the sort of thing that I live for. This league is so weird, and it's not always the best soccer, um, but it is always it is usually pretty fun soccer. <laughs> and that was a pretty good example of that um, the other night. So I wanted to I, that that's been one of the main stories for me. <laughs> it's yeah. just how strange that got. I have to I have to give two notes on this the first is you undersold that judson own goal because it wasn't just a counterattack; it was an 85 yard one on none run <laughs> there was nobody close to him and Judson. i don't think i've ever seen that in my life it's, it's at any level at any, at any level, level at any level of the game for a player to be alone for that long and and judson you know bless his heart the one who caused the turnover, who turned the ball over for this 85-yard counter. By the way, he to be fair to Judson, the referee set a pretty bad, big screen on him as he was receiving the ball, the pass from you in the first place, <laughs> just to kind of heighten the weirdness. A 100-yard run this guy makes, a 100-yard run, and he and he gets there. He makes it. They like Vancouver is not good, and they almost ruined this impossible to ruin moment it was incredible and then judson stuck his left foot out and put the ball in the net and it was like oh (laughs) my god and then that goal was so amazing right the goal of the tournament by far nothing will surpass it nothing is better than that goal it should win it should win goal of the year for mls (laughs) i'm dead serious i'll be very angry if judson does not win goal of the year and it 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 overshadowed the third goal for Vancouver. Oh, you know, it was uh, just an absolute howler. All of that aside, let's just stop for a second and let's give some praise to allocation disorders. Never bet on MLS segment. Never bet MLS. Actually, I need I need to talk about this when you're done. I make but a prediction. Continue. It's a two nothing score line, and it's a two nothing score line, and. San Jose is dominating the game. They're just absolutely destroying Vancouver. And I say, man, does anyone know what the live odds are on this game? Because I would lay money down on San Jose to win or draw. And sometimes books have the win slash draw option. I I, I thought it was going to be a 3-2 game. That's what I thought. I thought San Jose was going to come back and win it. When they went down 3-1, I was like, okay, I gave bad advice. And then they won. And so I just want to say, never bet MLS, even when you make a prediction and you get it right, there was nothing right about my prediction because the game went (laughs) totally differently than I was anticipating when I made that comment. But I I remain undefeated in hashtag never bet MLS. I'm 3-0. 3-0. All right. Well, I think I can beat that record because – so I used to live in North Carolina. Um, and my wife worked as a sports reporter, a TV sports reporter at the time. 
And so she got to know a bunch of the newspaper guys, the radio guys, et cetera, and we became friendly with them. And one of them had me on uh, their radio show just before the start of the tournament just to talk a little bit about MLS. And he's been texting me every single day since then throughout the tournament with like the the basically the money lines and the spreads and the over unders and he's like what do you think for today what do you think for today i think i'm eight and one on my picks so far and it's like sometimes i pick the game sometimes i pick the over under (laughs) so maybe we should be betting mls paul i don't know man i mean maybe we can make some money on the side that's probably uh, not allowed for us to do but it's ethically blurring some lines it's dubious the same discussion discussion with my wife today you know, when because she saw it happen, she saw my prediction, and then you know, she didn't By stay the way. Up the I was on game, this text thread, and and you said, you said, I'm I'm not betting, I don't bet on MLS, I don't bet so. on MLS, I don't. And yeah. and but then today, after after when she woke up, or yeah, today, it's I mean, and now it's Friday, but Thursday morning, my wife woke up and said, What happened in the game? Did San Jose win? I said, Yes. And on our walk in the morning with the kids, she was like, You know, you know, maybe you should bet on MLS. And then she goes, I know you probably can't. But yes, what I'm trying to say is we should bring back the never bet MLS segment because clearly we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. And I think um, our audience we should also would bring back it. show prep because we should have talked about this before the show. So we could have actually brought back the segment. Maybe we can make it up. Oh, we can do we'll that. See. We can do it on the fly. That's how All the right. best predictions happen. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to let you know today's show is sponsored by Artifact. What is Artifact, I hear you ask? Well, funny you should ask. Artifact is a service that creates personal podcasts about a topic of your choosing. We commissioned Artifact to help us tell the story of how Total Soccer Show got started and what's happened in the intervening decade with our show. You might be thinking, why would two podcasters commission another company to tell the story of their podcast? It's because to do it correctly, you need a third party asking the questions of me and Taylor. And then that third party, in this case, Artifact co-founder George Qureshi, edited together the audio, gave it some nice uh, musical beds, um, you know, cut out any of the chaff to make it nice and tight. And it really sounds like a beautiful piece of public radio style audio. If you want to hear the TSS origin story, you can go to heyartifact.com slash TSS, lowercase TSS. And when you're ready to make an artifact of your own, maybe about your business, maybe about memories of a family member, maybe about the start of your relationship, they can really help you make an artifact about anything that's important to you. If you go to heyartifact.com, use the code TSS, you'll get $40 off your first artifact. And I pretty much guarantee you'll enjoy doing it. It will be a pleasure to work with Artifact as it was for us. Thank you to Artifact for sponsoring today's show. Now, back to Paul and Sam. Um, We'll figure that out. So, yeah, San Jose, Vancouver, totally insane game. The soccer at the beginning, I thought, was very uneven. In a lot of cases, kind of dreadful um, over the first few days of the tournament. We, We sort of expected that. What I have not expected, Paul, was the jump we've seen over the last few days. There's been some pretty legitimately good games. I thought... um, I thought the the early game tonight, Toronto and Montreal, the defending was not great, but the attacking play was pretty solid. Um, you know, Thierry Henry made some half halftime adjustments for the impact, brought on Zachary Broguillard, um, and and they kind of started turning the screw on Toronto, and Akinola was doing his thing, and that was a fun, entertaining game. Um, Columbus, I thought, looked excellent against the Red Bulls, who were not very good in their own right. 
Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Columbus. So I'll, I'll just do that now. The crew to me look like the best team in the East. And I know small sample size, but that is a deep squad. They're pretty intentional about how they want to play. Uh, Darlington Nagby and Lucas Zellerayan are very, very good midfielders. You throw Artur in that mix, and I think you have the best midfield three in the entire league. Um, and they're solid pretty much everywhere. They have good depth pretty much everywhere. Giassi Zardis is playing very well at top. Um, they have four wingers, I believe, three, at least three, with Santos and Mukhtar and Diaz, who, who are dangerous and, and can do some things. Um, Jonathan Mensa was immensa against the Red Bulls tonight. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, but But he was really good. Um, I really like what the crew are doing. They're playing very well. Um, and that midfield three, I keep coming back to it. Um, I think it's the best in the league, and I think it's going to carry them pretty far if there is indeed a season to carry them far in. We'll see about that. But I think it'll carry them far in this tournament. Um, and like I said earlier in the show, already in the round of 16 after two games, Columbus. You know, I'm just going to say, first of all, I agree with you. I think that they're the best team in the East. And, you know, I I think if I were to do a never bet MLS segment right now on MLS cup odds. I'd, I'd put my money down on Columbus. Um, I'm I, I, as you were talking and as I was thinking about the performance that we just watched tonight, I think that there are certain moments when national team coaches need to, I don't beg is the wrong word, but to say, okay, the thing I have to no, do is no, is, he needs to go outside of Darlington Nagby's room yeah. at the Swan or yeah. the Dolphin, whichever one they're at. Full John Cusack from whatever that '80s movie is. Get the boombox, stand in the rain, do what needs to be done. <laughs> I mean, he's him. the best. He's the best American midfielder, central midfielder playing right now, and his ability to take the ball under pressure and keep it is critical. It's critical to the type of soccer that we know that Greg Berhalter likes to play, that we know that U.S. soccer struggles with. We saw it tonight a few times where the ball against Red Bull, a high-pressing team, the ball comes to Nagby, he's under pressure right away, and he acts as though he's going for a stroll through the park. You know? Like, it's, like, not a big deal. He takes the ball... He's he a one-man press breaker. He's just very, very clean, never loses it. Look at the difference in Atlanta United's midfield without him and Columbus's midfield with him. They need to find a way to reintegrate Darlington Nagby into the national team. Now, this is not Greg Berhalter's fault. Let's let's be clear here that the reason why Nagby's on it. Darlington Nagby isn't that high on it, right? Like, it's not that... I don't want to say it's not that important to him, but like I think he's made clear that like he's not, he doesn't feel uh, obliged or some you know to to be there right or to be a guy on the team right. Like he's sure, got an idea sure. of his value. He had he's got he's a family oriented person. Um, you know we've he seen just, this his priorities are different. Yeah, it's probably yeah. like we've seen it with Carlos Vela in the Mexican Vela. national team. Yeah, you know sometimes this is just how people work. Fine, great. You got to figure out a way to bring him back into the pool. You just have to. He would work really well in that midfield. You could play him, you know, you could play him, I think, a little bit ahead of a six if you wanted to. You could play him in that number six role. I know he doesn't give you a ton defensively, so it's probably not going to work out great playing him in the six. 
but you could pair right, him but there. You could you could play you could play Adams as the six, and if you have concerns about his distribution, those are wiped out by the fact that he's playing next to Nagby. Right. right. And so that to me is is a very clear step that I think I would like to see U.S. Soccer Greg Berhalter reengage. I don't know that they're not. They might be Greg Berhalter's there. I have no idea what the conversations are, but I think it would be valuable and productive for the, the for the health of the national team. Darlington Nagby is twenty nine years old. You know he'll be that would make him. What he'll be? So I think he'll he's be thirty. 30 very, he'll be thirty in two soon. days. Yeah, thirty in two days. So he'll be thirty-two at the next World Cup. That's not outrageous. And right now, he can help yeah. you. Right now, I he can help you. I don't think a Darlington Nagby at age thirty-two will have lost a step. Just just looking at how he plays <laughs> and the way he moves, he feels like one of those guys that's going to be good for a while. Um, maybe maybe that's just me being a little presumptuous, but hey, whatever. Um, another team, Paul. Uh, your hometown team, in fact, has really stood out. Orlando City, also into the round of 16. Two wins, back-to-back wins for Orlando for the first time in God knows how long at this tournament. Um, and they've looked they've looked better than they have in, what, two years? Um, two years. They so, look so, better than they have since their expansion season. Outside well, of like, they had that they one. They had, they had that, that one, one run, run under Christ where they yeah, won, which like was two years six ago, six games in a row. In 2018. It was more than it was more than two years ago yeah. because they've they've gone two years since they won back to back games. Pretty, pretty sure it was twenty eighteen. It doesn't matter when it anyway, was. It's been a digress. long time since they've looked good. I will also say, Sam, you're like one step away from cutting together clips of people's passes because over the last few days you have pumped. The national team prospects of Memo and Cash Mueller and kind of Eric Williamson. So in that in that I mean, vein, I've I'm going to say one of those. I've only done one of those things publicly. So no, you've done two. Counts. You've done two for sure. Which one have I done two? I think only do- Mueller. I thought you did memo as well. Was that just a private text message no, to me that I'm blowing? No, well, now that, you have. That, now like, it's that one wasn't. It wasn't Scoop. really that serious. That's Scoop why I didn't McGee. do it publicly. <laughs> but I wanted to give it's you the chance to talk about. <laughs> I wanted to give you the chance about to talk about your boy Cash Mueller, who I really enjoy as a player. But Schomburg zone, baby. <laughs> yeah, you feel you feel like this guy is somebody who can step in and also help the national team. What have you liked about Chris Mueller? I mean, so let let me pull that back a little bit. Like, I put something out there on Twitter the other day. Like, at what point does Chris Mueller, like, get a call up over some of the wingers? Jonathan Lewis, Corey Baird, uh, Tyler Boyd, who have been getting called up over the last 12 to 18 months, right? Um, And I think he deserves a call up over those guys, personally. Um, But at the same time, you know, when you look at the winger pool, and it's Pulisic and Gio Reyna... And Jordan Morris, who I would put ahead of Mueller, certainly, um, you know, he's he's a best of the fourth winger. It's not like he's going to come in and be a starter. This is more of like a January camp thing. <laughs> so I'm not saying it's like something super major right now. So I just wanted to get out in front and say that. But but I like the way he plays. He plays with a little bit of an edge to him. He's very direct. He's not afraid to take people on. Um, he's a good athlete, uh, pretty clearly uh, a good finisher. Um, and I think for that guy who would be the fourth ish winger on your roster. If he does get called in, that's what you want, right? It's somebody that can come off the bench, change a game, run at people, bring a little speed, bring a little athleticism, bring a little bit of danger in front in the area. 
Um, and, and I think he brings all of those things in ways that maybe some of those other guys don't. Um, so yeah, I mean, is he going to be a starter? No. Is he worth taking a look at in a January camp? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, so th- that's where I'm at with Mueller and you know, he's only 23, so he could, he could grow into more. He's got four goals in this tournament. Um, he's produced in the past. He's been pretty streaky with his, uh, with his, with his goals and assists. Um, but I like what he's done under Pereja and, you know, if I had to put money on it, we talk about never, this is, the, this is the betting show. Apparently I, I would say that he's going to continue to progress and continue to play well, um, for Orlando under Perea. I think, um, one thing that stood out to me is I think Mueller has become a little bit more clinical. I mean, you're right. He has been streaky. And so it's only been two games, but he's got four goals last year. He had five goals and four assists across, you know, 29 games played 1300 minutes or so. You know, three goals, seven assists the, the prior year in about two thousand minutes. Okay, so he he, I think he's he's been sharper in the final third as a goal scorer, which is important. And there's another aspect that I, which is why I agree with you in that his his value for the national team might be there. He's shown to be really effective as a super sub, and we know that's what Greg Berhalter likes about Jonathan Lewis, his effectiveness coming off the bench when he got those opportunities last year. And Chris Mueller's been really effective as a super sub for Orlando last year. He didn't love the role, but he did it well. And I think that he could play that, you know, he could play a similar role for the national team if you were to get get a chance and and show well in a January camp game. Um, but you're right. The, the winger pool is evolving. I think we know for sure that Christian Pulisic is going to be in a role like he has been with in, with Chelsea, where he's playing on the left side, he's coming inside. Uh, Gio Reyna certainly is going to be the starter on the other side. You would expect, um, and then well, he could play. He could play centrally too, Gio Reyna. So depending, sure. it depends on if you get Nagby yeah. back. I don't know. Um, well, he could play up top though too. So there's a lot of places you could put him. Anyway, yeah. The point is, I agree with you. I think Chris Mueller. I, I, you know, I, I saw Chris Mueller play at Wisconsin. I really liked him then, and I'm. But I, I've been. Um, I think he's he's progressed a lot. I, I really think he's progressed a lot. And it's not the easiest thing to do at Orlando City, um, to be honest. <laughs> no, he's had three he's different had, coaches. He's had, this yeah, is his third he's all, year, right? He's had a lot of coaches. So, um, um, yeah. Credit so what, to him. what have you made of Orlando as a whole, though, Paul? I think they're playing much better soccer, right? They're they're not a team that you hate to watch anymore. And credit to Oscar Perea. You know, this is a coach who has been successful in MLS before. He knows how to put together a good team. Mueller's playing well. I think Nani's still a good player. Um Juan on the outside, right back. Um they've they've you're got big, you're big on him, huh? I like him. I he he you know he's tough to deal with overlapping. He's not, you don't have to be I mean I this is probably not the not not the best comparison. It's not the best comparison, but it oh, I think boy. it kind of Where works. In that when I when I covered kind of up close the 2017 fire with with um, Akam on the wing, whether Akam was going to be on that day or not, it didn't matter, right? His pace and his ability to get in behind the back line changed the way a team had to play the fire, right? They had to account constantly for his presence on the field, and I think if you play a system where you can get the fullbacks up the field, that you know he does a similar thing. He, he creates those. It's not just creating overloads. It's creating problems because you can't allow him to get in behind. You're not going to catch him. Um, 
that being said, you know, he's not the guy that I'm looking at as like the difference maker of this team. I like Pereira. I like Mueller. We talked about extensively now. Nani, obviously, you know, we don't need to talk. Nani's been really good, man. He's been fantastic. He was really good last year too. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Dwyer guy. I'm not a huge Dwyer guy. I don't think we've seen it from him yet. But Be I think careful, the, he might hit you in the mouth if he hears you saying that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, I think they've I think they've got some nice pieces. Um I'm not I'm not saying that they're a I don't think they're a contender, but I think they are no. competitive. Uh, that back line is a bit of a mess for me still. I I do like Jegson Mendez in the middle and Junior or so has been interesting, although I haven't I've admittedly only seen him for about a full game. So um, early days there for me anyway, but he seems intriguing. Um, any other teams that stick out in a positive way to you, Paul? Yeah, Philly. Philly. I think Philly is showing, you know, Jim Curtin's done a nice job. I think justified of Bernie Stewart a few years back to stick with him at a time when pretty much anyone else would have fired him. Um, I, I, I think they've looked, they, they didn't even have their, uh, their best performance in the last game, but they won. I think that's a good sign for a team. And I like Brendan Aronson a lot. I think he's a really good player. Uh, so Philly yeah. would, would is I like Jamiro Montero a lot as well. Yeah, um, I would throw him in that mix. And Prisbilko, Cap Casper, Casper the friendly striker continues to play pretty well up top for them too. Um, I think I'm with you there. I think Chicago. I mean, I'm not saying they were great or anything. They did beat Seattle in their opener, uh, and they looked decent, which Definitely is a huge better. step up for them. Yeah. Um, you know, like that there's the beginnings of something there under Rafa Wiki. Um, I liked Barrich. I thought, I thought he, his goal was particularly well taken. Um, you know, he's got some work to do just like everybody else, but, uh, some signs of life for a team that has not had that for quite some time. So I thought that was positive. Um, Paul, let's take a, let's take a little bit of a break here and then we're going to come back, um, with teams that have fallen on the opposite side of spectrum and, and, and have had some hard times in Orlando. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Hawthorne. Why is it sponsored by Hawthorne? Because smelling good is important and Hawthorne helps you smell really good. If you've never really been able to find a product that is right for you, then Hawthorne might have the answer. You just go to hawthorne.co, you take the two-minute quiz, and based on your answers, Hawthorne will recommend various products, deodorant, uh, face wash, body wash, shampoo, uh, cologne. It will recommend products that then you can buy individually or you can buy on a recurring basis. Totally up to you. This very morning, I used a Hawthorne shampoo that has a hint of mint about it. And minty hair, turns out, it's a good smell on me. I like it. So to find what's right for you, take the two-minute quiz on the Hawthorne website. Go to hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E on the end, and it's .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co, and use the code TSS. It's TSS to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Promo code is TSS for 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Welcome back. Quick break is over we little hydration break for us paul did you get any water while we were gone are you all good now that you mention it i'm thirsty (laughs) it's hot out here you know it's humid and we don't have five subs to lean on on the bench real issue real Um, issue though sam quickly i know we're gonna get to the teams that have not been good i think i know you're a big fan of the 9 a.m games Brutal. They've been really, really brutal. <laughs> they have been bad. And, and been bad. it's because that heat is overwhelming. Breaks I told you 
you know it's my hometown, as you like to say. It's not really my hometown, but <laughs> it is not an ideal situation. When you hear the people who have no, played in that game no, talk about what they're trying to get through, the soccer suffers, the players are suffering. It's it's. I know there aren't a lot of great solutions there because you're playing a summer tournament in Orlando, which baffles on so many <laughs> levels. But, man... That's really killed some games. You just know I, you're going to get personally, maybe 45 minutes. I personally have a much lower bar for like my standards for the 9 a.m. games because I'm just like thinking to myself, like, oh, cool, 9 a.m. soccer that I can technically write off as work and I don't have to do anything else. Like, this is nice. Like, it doesn't matter if it's bad. I'm just enjoying my breakfast here and, and watching, you know, Atlanta United play FC Cincinnati in a miserable game. You did not <laughs> enjoy that. You're lying. Uh, no, I did. I, I, I got some comic relief out of that, but I'm a pretty messed up individual when it comes up comes to these things. Speaking of Atlanta United, let's talk about teams that have disappointed so far at MLS is back. And I think that's a good place to start. Um, Atlanta have lost both of their games. Uh, dropped the first one to the Red Bulls, uh, dropped this one to FC Cincinnati. Um, congratulations to Yop Stom. He is um, already climbing way up the all-time FC Cincinnati charts um, for most wins as an MLS head coach. I think he's only two <laughs> off the all-time lead in club history now. Um, you know, now one and one in his career um, in Ohio. So congrats to him. Um, beating his old center back partner, Frank DeBoer, down in Atlanta, um atlanta are in some trouble if they want to get out of the group stage they can still do it but they're in more trouble in in a lot of different ways and i should note that today's loss to cincy came with 10 men they played down down a man for an hour um and actually dropped down to nine late in the game um so you know that certainly played a role but even before jake mulraney was sent off in the 30th minute or so uh things weren't exactly clicking and no joseph martinez has meant no joy for uh, for PT Martinez, Ezekiel Barco, and the rest of that attack. So I think major issues there. What have you made of Atlanta so far? I thought they were going to struggle this year early on. Because Not like this, though. Right? Anytime, anytime you replace three core members of a team. Cincinnati. And then you lose the biggest star, right? So they, were, they lost, they, they got rid of LGP. They got rid of Gressel. They got rid of Nagby. And then Joseph Martinez goes down. Michael I mean, Parkhurst, too. That is that is the spine of your team. That is the spine and basically the identity of the team. And so, no, I'm not surprised. And I, I think it's worth saying also, though, I, I do – you can't put it all into Boer, right? Because the front office had – had a big part in the decision-making process. And you, if you want to call it cap issues, if you want to call it anything else, whatever it was, they, they played a role in, in reconfiguring this roster, but you had three months post Joseph Martinez knee injury to figure out how you're going to score goals, how you're going to change up the way you attack and, and, and play in the final third without Joseph Martinez what what is that plan? It's they that yeah. whatever that there, is there is one. not good. There's not one. Yeah. Frank DeBoer did nothing with that three months to to replace Joseph Martinez, and that is a huge problem. 
Replace internally. And not, not, we're not saying go out and make a different sign. Right. We're saying no, no, no. figure out a new system. to Because fig- you still have Barco and PT Martinez, two of the best, like just when you're talking about pure talent, two of the best attackers in the entire league. They should still be able to create some damage. Um, and they haven't been able to do so. And they haven't really looked very good, um, even when they were at full strength against New York and, and then against Cincinnati. So that's been a problem for me. Another another one for me, man, um, a few others, actually. I'll just rattle them off. Galaxy, they lost to Portland in their opener. Um, now, they had a number of good chances. Uh, Chicharita missed a penalty. He missed kind of a sitter. Uh, he did get his first goal in MLS eventually, um, but you know uh, there was some pain along the way. They don't have a lot of ideas as well going forward. Um, it you know you I watch that team and I'm like, what do you guys spend all of your training sessions doing? I'm not really clear on that. Um, another you know Christian Pavone, Chicharito, Legette, they have some talent going forward there, and and they have not been able to harness it. And that's not a new thing. That was the case last year under Barros Scalotto as well. And we haven't even gotten to the main issue with that team, which is their back line, which is a wreck. It's just not good enough. And they showed that against Portland. Um, so I think, they're, I think you know, over the course of a full season, they would be fine. They would find a way to score goals um, and, and win some shootouts and get into the playoffs. But that club isn't where it should be um, in any way, shape, or form. They, um, but they few, don't even make my top four of, of, of problems in this tournament so far. So give me it's your crazy. top four then. Atlanta, one. Red Bull. Red Bull Red two. Bull. Interesting. I, I, I just again I think it probably falls under the same scope as LA Galaxy. I think and what's funny is I'm constantly blamed for underrating Red Bull in the years when they were winning supporter shields. They they won supporter shield a couple years ago. They 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 beat Atlanta United. Set the all times points point record that And they don't look they the don't look season. great. They don't look great. I know you you talk about kind of the you wrote about their mentality and the way that they play, and you got hammered by Red, Red Bulls fans. Red Bulls fans are very mad at me. They're very <laughs> mad at you. I should probably have let you say it. I know they have three points right now. I just haven't been overwhelmed. Well, I'm going to disagree with you. What do you, want? what do you want from them? They start want... Tom Barlow at striker. What yeah, do you want I from mean, that team? Do something. Are, go go are, spend are they not performing? Are they, are they not performing at the level that, that they should be, given what's on their roster? They are a disappointment for what they're supposed to be, and 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 you what can are look they around the red, look around a Red Bull. You know, I know Salzburg's technically not a part of the Red Bull family, but let's be honest here; they're a part of the Red Bull family. They are, yeah. Salzburg has been incredibly successful, winning the, the those league. Teams spend though, advancing this, in New York league. does That's not. What I'm saying. Red Bull Leipzig, yeah, they've done a really nice job in the Bundesliga. They were challenging Bayern Munich. And what has Red Bull New York done? Going to play in the quarters of the Champions League. They've sold players. They have, they have, and then done nothing with the money. They've done, they've, they've not spent significantly outside of Kaku. It's, it's just a, it's, and it's tough to watch them because you, you you your system can, can, that system is built to work in MLS because you don't need the most amount of talent in order to execute that of soccer technical talent to execute that system well. You still need good players, and and the system can be great when you have really great players. I mean, the Salzburg team I saw with Holland up top was was awesome. The better players you have, the better that system's going to be. But you can disguise weaknesses with a, a really effective high press, and, and Red Bull did that really well under Jesse Marsh. 
they had talent, right? They had players. They they did it well against Atlanta on Saturday, nothing. Paul. <laughs> I mean, Atlanta's terrible. <laughs> I mean, Atlanta's terrible. So here, they can, they, they can, can I? Like I, they I have a play. lot of thoughts. I have Go a lot ahead. of thoughts on this. Go ahead. This is why we don't talk right. soccer on this show, so, by the way. <laughs> so, um, I really, really have a ton of respect for what Red Bull do, do in so many different ways. And I really hate what they do in a lot of other ways. And so, I'll start on the positive side. I think that the fact that they have a very clear system and style of play and that they promote it and that they're very targeted in who they sign um, based on that style and that they go out and they play it and you know it's 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 not technical it's not possession but to me it is there is a lot of beauty in it um it's it is complex it requires a lot of studying it requires high IQ from the players it requires them to be incredibly fit um and they've had a ton of success with it over the last 5 years um and and it does paper over a lot of the problems with their roster, right? It's kind of a great equalizer, this high-press system where they can cause turnovers high up the field and quickly transition and go to goal. Um, it's been excellent for them, and I think it will continue to serve them well. Um, and, I, and I think full credit to the coaching staff, to Jesse Marsh, to the organizational philosophy um, that built that system, and full credit to the players um, for buying in and executing it. Um, all of that said... Uh, they're one of the lowest spending teams in the league. They're starting Tom Barlow and Brian White at striker. They play in New York. That's a joke. That's a joke. Completely joke. It's not what it should be. They don't have a fan base. Um, you know, full respect to, to the ones that go out there. Red Bull Arena is a great stadium to watch a soccer game in, and full respect to the ones that go out there to Harrison every weekend, um, at least during a normal non-pandemic season. Um, but there aren't many of them. They have tarps in that stadium. It's sad. That's not what that's not what that should be. You know? And and that is is at least in part, in my opinion, a reflection of kind of that organizational mindset. Now you can say, well, they had Thierry Henry, they had Tim Cahill, they had Rafa Marquez, they weren't drawing then either, and they were doing some winning then too, by the way. Um and and okay, okay, that's fair, I guess. Maybe they saw that and said, you know what? Why bother spending if we're not gonna draw anyway? Let's just play our system. Um, sell some guys over to Leipzig and Salzburg, uh, and keep keep the costs low. You know that that feels like but kind of the choice out. that was made. It's a cop out, man, because the, it's not no, about I, the stars. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you that it's a cop out. Um, and and by the way, they were one piece away from MLS Cup for how many years, and they never went and got it. Right. So even if you're not worried about the marketing aspect of things, just on the sporting side, they were one piece away from winning a championship. They've always had problems in the playoffs because of their style. That was never a secret. They were always one piece away. They never went and got that piece. Um, and you said it. They don't replace anyone, ever. They sell guys. They trade guys. They let guys walk. But they don't replace them um, with anyone near, you know, kind of the same price tag um, as the ones that are leaving. And except for Kaku. And uh, I don't know. You, yeah, for, the lone for exception a league is probably... To, the Dax trade, right? 
that's the lone except they traded Dax in order to open things up for Tyler Adams. I still believe they could have played Dax and Tyler Adams and Sean Davis. Well, uh, I mean, you can't you Dax. can't argue you can't argue with that decision. But no, well, they they didn't replace Dax with someone in the same price tag. Tyler Adams was making whatever he was making as a sixteen year old, and that was the right decision. Tyler Adams was one of the best midfielders in the league, right? I'm not trying to knock all of these moves. I'm just saying for a league that's trying to find its footing off the field as much as it is trying to find its footing on the field. One of your two New York teams, actually both of your New York teams, if we're being totally honest, cannot be these European kind of feeder clubs. Um, and that's what they are, um, unconcerned with marketing to a degree. Um, so anyway, that's a big, long rant. <laughs> I don't think the Red Bulls have been that disappointing in Orlando. I thought they were bad against Columbus. Uh, Chris Armas did not rotate. Um, and I thought his guys looked tired and they weren't able to press that well as a result. Um, but I thought they looked very good against Atlanta. So I don't think they've been disappointing in, in Orlando. I think they've been fine. Um, Vancouver. Good one night, bad the other. <laughs> bad. God. Um, another team, what are your expect? I mean, that that was more than I expected of Vancouver, only losing by one goal. Uh, New York City FC have been yes. bad for me. Um, although their loss to Orlando, uh, they should have at minimum tied that game and maybe even won it with the amount of chances that they created, even without Maxi Morales, who is out injured. Um, but real concerns there with Ronnie Dyla. He's off to a very, very slow start as, as the new head coach for NYCFC, who I think consensus kind of pick is the best team in the East entering the season. Yeah, I would say, I mean, you know, we went over kind of the structural issues of Red Bull, but you know, the thing that's been interesting with, with NYCFC is they've actually put together a really good roster. And there have been these kind of ancillary issues that I think have, have limited the ability of NYCFC to reach the best levels. The biggest one being their home stadium, I think, has been a real issue. It, it's created a culture that's just not fully there yet. You know, it's not as evolved as other clubs in the league. Um, and I, I actually think that permeates and, and I think it, imp- certainly it impacts the way they play at home and the level of the games that we watch at Yankee stadium. And then I think they've had some coaching issues, right? They've had some with the changeovers of once Vieira left, um, and Dome came in and now Ronnie Dela, um, they, they kind of want to keep these hires always within the city football group family. They uh, Ronnie, Ronnie family, yeah, but he had connections through right to connections, dream yeah. and, in and and working with city football strong, group strong god said so yeah. this was not you know this was not a an unfamiliar co- coach within that city football group family so you know when when he was hired that's what i heard from multiple people in europe about you know immediately they said oh it makes sense because of this this and this so i i definitely think they've been the most disappointing i also kind of expected a little bit of a rough period early on i just think anytime you have a newer coach coming in there's going to be some some problems that's not I'm not saying that that's an excuse. I think that they've been probably next to Atlanta the most disappointing team in the tournament. Um but you know, I didn't I didn't expect them to win this tournament either. I guess is the best way to put it. Sure. Um one team we have not mentioned is the defending MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders who have also been quite disappointing. Scoreless draw against San Jose in the opener and a loss to the Chicago Fire in their second game. And like Atlanta, very much on the ropes in terms of their advancement um, to the round of 16. Um, now, the Sounders always start slow. Um, so I think a lot of people have just sort of, you know, 
push that to the side. It's like, oh yeah, the Sounders start slow and then, you know, you get to the playoffs and next thing you know, you look up and they're in MLS Cup again. So who cares, right? Um, but, you know, they are down some key players as well. Jao Paulo, their DP midfielder, is not not on the field or hasn't been on the field. Um, so, you know, they're dealing with some issues, um, but they have not looked good either. And, and Xavier Ariaga, uh, a high-priced center back who came in last season and was not very good, um, has been not very good. Um, and so they might have a problem on their hands at that position. All right, Sam, we went through our, our run of the tournament. I think we've, we've, we're going to wrap things up here, but we talked about kind of on the fly, never bet MLS. So this episode's coming out on a Friday, the Friday night games. There's three of them, DC, New England, Sporting, Colorado, Salt Lake, Minnesota, RSL, Minnesota. Um, interesting lines, as provided on the, the MLSsoccer.com website. Um, <laughs> is, there a, is there a winner there that you like right off the bat? Is there just a straight-up winner you're not even worried about the odds uh, that you're saying, think, I'm betting on that game? New England, I think, will beat D.C. without too much issue. They should have beat Montreal about 6 nothing. Um, if Gustavo Bo could have finished more than one chance, which he finished with an insane goal, by the way. Um, but he, he missed a few easy ones. Um, I like I like New England in that one. Um, the other two, harder to call. I do think RSL looked very good against Colorado. You know, Colorado I had picked as sort of like a dark horse um, without remembering that they went like a full week right before they traveled to Orlando without training in Denver because of positives and false positives and all that jazz um, with COVID. Um, so I probably should have remembered that, but yeah, I would say new England stands out to me there. What about you? Yeah. I mean, that's the easiest bet for sure. I think, um, the new England bet, it, even Vegas is a little bit confused what to do with RSL, Minnesota, RSL plus one sixty five to win Minnesota plus one forty five in that game. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, I, the over unders are, you know, at the totals at three. So over under two and a half. Um, I think if I look at it, I probably say I'm going to bet the momentum for Minnesota United coming off of the comeback. And I'm going to say at plus 145, I think that's a decent value bet. And I'm going to say that they're going to beat Salt Lake. They're going to kind of carry off the momentum of that late win where they didn't play well for the most part. And yet in the last Minnesota's not winning that game. I, I'm no way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're it's not. The, to it me, might be a I'm draw, for but value they're not bets. winning. The draw actually winning. is the best value bet there. The draw is plus 270 for a draw between RSL and Minnesota United. I kind of like a draw. I think it's a pretty good value bet. Um, I think I think that's probably the best value on the board here. Plus 265 for a draw with Kansas City and Colorado, but I have no idea what to expect from Kansas City. They 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 blew that game against Minnesota United after dominating Ugh. for the most part, and they were the best team in MLS in the first two games of the regular season. Like that wasn't I mean it was, Tell it was the first two games ago. out. That was that was forever ago. It was a lifetime ago, okay? But know? but I'm saying we don't know like that team is still that same team, right? They're still capable of those well, performances. They have to play they're they're playing Richard Sanchez in this game, remember? Uh because mm. Tim Mele got a red card. So, not quite the same. I'm not going to disparage Richard Sanchez here on this podcast. That was never bet MLS. As you can see, there's a reason why that segment does exist, regardless of Sam's record. <laughs> Sam's record is eight and one because he picks the 
one heavy favorite of the three games and it's like oh no i've also I, that's like half that's like half over unders paul okay <laughs> so um anyway uh i i just wanted to talk about one more thing because i know we're go- going a little long here that's that's not mls is back related but what happens after mls is back um the league is planning on returning to their home markets and playing a regular season. What is it? 18 or 20 games is kind of the working plan, right, Paul? Yep. Um, now, a lot of that is dependent, of course, on the coronavirus and where things stand in individual markets, what governments are allowing or are not allowing. Um, and, and so we'll see um, on all of that. I think a huge sticking point, and I wrote about this um, this week, uh, will be the Canadian teams and what they are allowed to do by their government. Um as of right now, anyone traveling to Canada from the U.S. Um, has to do a mandatory 14-day quarantine upon arrival. Um, now, if MLS teams have to do that when they're going to play Toronto FC or the Impact or the Vancouver Whitecaps, well, that that kind of you know that kind of eliminates any home games for those three teams um, unless they're playing against each other. Um, and so that's that could be a huge problem. They can apply for an exemption. You know, the league is talking. Um, about this and MLSE who owns Toronto FC I know is talking about it and, and, and the Caps and the Impact are working with their provincial and local authorities as well in BC and in Quebec but um, it's going to be really interesting the one saving grace for MLS here is they don't have to go first MLB has to go first the Blue Jays applied for this exemption um, and they're expecting a decision this weekend so we should know a lot more about it very soon um, but if they don't get an exemption and they have to play in their minor league park in Buffalo or their spring training facility down in Florida, um, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what MLS does. And shoot, man, maybe this uh, maybe this isn't the only bubble we see in 2020 if uh, the Canadian Canadian teams don't get to uh, don't get those exemptions. So we'll see on that front. Um, but I did want to mention that. I also I have one last question for you, Paul. Uh oh. How's the fantasy golf team doing? Not good. Not good. Last week I had a top five finish. <laughs> I had a top five finish. Is Tiger had, back this weekend? He's back. Is that right? I had Gary Woodland last week. He finished tied for oh, fifth. Gary. Not a bad pick. This Gary. week I picked Dustin Johnson. He shot 80 on Thursday and is third from last. Wow. I think it's 127th. Not great. 80's not, not good. 80's not I know good. That. I don't know a lot about golf. I don't know who Gary Woodland is, but I know that 80 is bad for a professional golfer. Um, so sorry. Sorry to the turnpike tustlers there, Paul. Um, anyway, <laughs> you have anything else you wanted to get off your chest before we wrap this thing up? No, you know, I was, we're obviously I'm getting ready to go to bed as soon as we sign off here. And now I got, now I'm thinking about that Dustin Johnson pick and that that's what you left me with. I, 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 I I'm going to have to go watch to sleep tonight. It's all right. I'm going to go watch the Judson goal. It's going to put me in a good mood and then I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Poor Judson. Uh, thank you for listening to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, enjoy the games. MLS is back, baby. Go out there, have some fun, watch some soccer, enjoy yourselves. Uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>